Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of Record Talk Listen. My name is Lydia, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, Jen Brown is back from the Center for Literary Arts, and she is helping us to celebrate Poetry Month. Now, Poetry Month is the entire month of April, and they're doing a great art project in conjunction with some local poets called Walk, Read, and Write. So if you happen to be in or near Frostburg, Maryland, or you want to make the trip, I highly recommend it, uh, walking around the city and interacting with poetry. So it's in-your-face poetry with some pretty cool graphics. So make sure to experience poetry in that way out in the great outdoors, or you can just read your favorite poem. Just take the time to do that. Now, Jen posed the question to the public at large, what are some of your favorite poems that you keep coming back to? And a lot of people responded, and she's picked a selection of those poems to read today, as well as some of her own original work. Now, as you know, poetry covers all sorts of things artistically and and the vast uh, beauty that is the human experience. So some poems feature some adult themes. So um, if you are looking to find some more information about the read, uh, Walk, Read, and Write program or any of the uh, previous episodes that Jen has been a part of, make sure to go to our website, and that is recordtalklisten.com. There you can find all of our episodes are archived there along with great information surrounding those. And on the right-hand side of the website, there's a little donate button there. And if you're feeling adventurous at all, then we highly suggest you click on it. Worst case scenario, you support your local podcast or a podcast you like to listen to from anywhere in the world, really. So um, thank you in advance. And uh, make sure to always subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can do that by clicking the iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play icon right under the donate button. And that is free. So click away. So um, let's let's just get right into this fantastic episode. Um, and Jen Brown also issues a challenge to all of you poets out there. So stay tuned for that. So without further ado, this is Jen Brown from the Center for Literary Arts. Welcome back, Jen. Thanks. Um, so April is National Poetry Month. So it is. And uh, you have so graciously agreed to read some of your original work, so stay tuned for that. And um, where you ask interesting questions of people about poems that they come back to. Right. Um, because... I think that we have a tendency to use poetry as, you know, as touchstones or as um, like talismans against the vicissitudes of our of our daily life, mm-hmm. right? And I think especially now when people are feeling a little, you know, still a little upheaval maybe in their daily lives, it, um, that maybe we might kind of reach back to those poems that that resonate for us in some way or inspire you in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Or kind of express a truth that sure that we might not otherwise be able to voice. And, um, so I was kind of curious what people, um, what poems people went back to. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got some good responses. Good. Uh, I mean, of course. And, um, uh, by the way, this is probably a good time for me to plug the Facebook group. Yes, for, you for should. The center for literary arts where a person might be able to find this question about right. poems that one revisits. I, I highly recommend being a part of this Facebook group, you don't have a page. There is a page, but it's not really active. So you've got to be a part of the group, which right. I think is really dynamic. Um, and there's always great information. So it's it's highly worth your while to be a member of the group. So just ask and you will get in. 
<laughs> there's no joining fee. Right. And there's no vetting process. Right, right, so, right. Um, well, yeah, thanks for that plug. No uh, problem. So, you know, so I asked members of the group and um, maybe I'll just throw one out. Sure. Right? So uh, one member who is Jonathan Treese, who, by the way, uh, has one of his poems as part of our Walk, Read, Write project. Nice. A good tie in yeah, there. Yeah, right? that was good. So, um, and for those who don't know, Walk, Read, Write is an ongoing uh, literary arts installation funded by the Allegheny Arts Council as part of a creative placemaking grant. And um, so we have these large scale posters around Frostburg of um, poems from local authors that we do have one piece of prose by Brad Barkley. Um, so we have, you know, these poetic installations and, and really it's kind of like a guerrilla art project. Nice. So, you know, I just sort of want people to be out on the street and all of a sudden have to have to deal with a poem uh, <laughs> right there in front of them. Uh, so in um, your face, poetry. Precisely. Good. Um, so Jonathan has a, a poem and his actually is in the front window of the Lewis J. Ort Library on the campus of Frostburg State University. Very nice. Um, and his is huge. It is the biggest one that we have. Okay. Um, so it actually was two panels that we had to put together. Um, Kit Pepper uh, and I were up on ladders um, in the front window of the Ort Library to the amusement of the students who were around. I bet, yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Jonathan um, responded to this question with a Bruce Weigel poem. Okay. Uh, and it's a, a poem called What Saves Us. And about this poem, Jonathan wrote, this is a quote, it's a microcosmic portrait of the pathos in human vulnerability. It's fear and love and lust and hope. We die, we know we'll die, and we want to believe that if we can have what we desire, it will be okay. We believe we'll be able to accept our ending, right? such a good way to articulate it. That is, it. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. And that's just Jonathan's remark about the right. poem, right? So um, so anyway, this is, uh, so I'll go ahead and read uh, the poem again. It's Bruce Weigel's poem, What Saves Us. We are wrapped around each other in the back of my father's car, parked in the empty lot of the high school of our failures. The sweat on her neck like oil. The next morning, I would leave for the war, and I thought I had something coming for that. I thought to myself that I would not die never having been inside her long body. I pulled her skirt above her waist like an umbrella inside out by the storm. I pulled her cotton panties up as high as she could stand. I was on fire. Heaven was in sight. We were drowning on our tongues, and I tried to tear my pants off when she stopped so suddenly. We were surrounded only by my shuddering and by the school bells grinding in the empty halls. She reached to find something, a silver crucifix on a silver chain, the tiny savior's head hanging and stakes through his hands and his feet. She put it around my neck and held me so long the black wings of my heart were calmed. We were not always right about what we th I'm sorry, we are not always right about what we think will save us. I thought that dragging the angel down would save me, but instead I carried the crucifix in my pocket and rubbed it on my face and lips nights the rockets roared in. People die sometimes so near you, you feel them struggling to cross over the deep untangling of one body from another. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not bad. No, um, no. Yeah. I, that was great. Yeah. So um, and 
right. All right. So I'm going to grab another one then. Okay. Here. So uh, this is Molly McGee's. Okay. Another great name. Uh, Molly McGee's recommendation, uh, which is a Billy Collins poem called Marginalia. Okay. Um, and she writes, Molly writes, uh, because it reminds me of my young, assured undergrad self. And then the ending remarks, or I'm sorry, the ending reminds me of my younger emotional teenage self. I also love how the speaker talks directly to the reader. Um, and so here is marginalia, which, by the way, uh, are the notes that people write into the margins of books. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So that gives you a, a sense of what's happening with the title. So uh, Billy Collins writes, Sometimes the notes are ferocious, skirmishes against the author raging along the borders of every page in tiny black script. If I could just get my hands on you, Kierkegaard, or Connor Cruz O'Brien, they seem to say, I would bolt the door and beat some logic into your head. Other comments are more offhand, dismissive, nonsense, please, ha, that kind of thing. I remember once looking up from my reading, my thumb as a bookmark, trying to imagine what the person must look like who wrote, don't be a ninny alongside a paragraph in the life of Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Students are more modest, needing to leave only their splayed footprints along the shore of the page. One scrawls metaphor next to a stanza of Eliot's. Another notes the presence of irony 50 times outside the paragraphs of a modest proposal. Or they are fans who cheer from the empty bleachers, hands cupped around their mouths, Absolutely, they shout to Duns Scotus and James Baldwin. Yes, bullseye, my man. Check marks, asterisks, and exclamation points rain down along the sidelines. And if you have managed to graduate from college without ever having written man versus nature in a margin, perhaps now is the time to take one step forward. We have all seized the white perimeter as our own and reached for a pen, if only to show we did not just laze in an armchair turning pages. We pressed a thought into the wayside, planted an impression along the verge. Even Irish monks in their cold scriptoria jotted along the borders of the Gospels, brief asides about the pains of copying, a bird singing near their window, or the sunlight that illuminated their page, anonymous men catching a ride into the future on a vessel more lasting than themselves. And you have not read Joshua Reynolds, they say, until you have read him enwreathed with Blake's furious scribbling. Yet the one I think of most often, the one that dangles from me like a locket, was written in the copy of Catcher in the Rye I borrowed from the local library one slow, hot summer. I was just beginning high school then, reading books on a Davenport in my parents' living room, and I cannot tell you how vastly my loneliness was deepened, how poignant and amplified the world before me seemed, when I found on one page a few greasy-looking smears, and next to them, written in soft pencil, by a beautiful girl, I could tell, whom I would never meet. Pardon the egg salad stains, but I'm in love. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Right? right? Yes. 
I, after reading this poem, and of course this was <clears throat> Molly McGee's recommendation, but since reading this poem, I have never written a, a remark in a margin without thinking of it. That is, yeah, I don't think anybody will yeah, now. Every single time. That's that's great, especially if you spill some, something. You should say, please pardon, <laughs> please pardon my spill. Right, and identify it. And I de- right, so people are like, oh, I wonder what this is. Right, egg salad. Egg salad. But it, one of the things that I love about this poem too is just. Like, again, that kind of precision of language. Yeah. It's a Davenport. I know. Right. I love that. The perfect word. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's just so many good examples of it. But, yeah, so that's, again, Billy Collins' poem, Marginalia. So uh, this is a very different poem. um, Okay. (laughs) Which which Nina Forsyth uh, recommends. And she writes, since you ask for just one. (laughs) Addressing the problem, of course. But since you Mm -hmm. ask for just one, I'll go with The Snowman by Wallace Stevens, because it explores how we see the world. There's a tension between, quote, the thing in itself, close quote, and the thing as we interpret it through imagination. The poem is so exquisitely structured parenthetically, maybe maddeningly so, (laughs) close parentheses, that every time I read it, I come away with a different interpretation of the poem itself. Uh, so clearly this is... Sounds like a good poem. Oh, it's this is quite the build-up, Nina. It is, it is quite the build-up. <laughs> well, and, you know, I wrote this on, on the reply. Like, I completely associate this poem with Nina because I've talked to her about it before. Uh-huh. And I know that it's a poem that she loves. Right. right? And so I wasn't at all shocked when she <laughs> that came that, that came through. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, just to have her to have her articulate what it is that makes her kind of keep coming back to it. Sure, sure. But, uh, so again, this is uh, Wallace Stevens' The Snowman. One must have a mind of winter to regard the frost and the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow, and have been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice, the spruces rough in the distant glitter of the January sun, and not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind, in the sound of a few leaves which is the sound of the land full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place for the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there and the nothing that is. It's pretty perfect. It lives up to the hype, (laughs) Nina. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was great. Oh, yeah. That's, That's the perfect description. Right. Wow. It's yeah. like everything is not great, but it is the same time. Well, and just that, you know, the notion of, of having a mind of winter, right? To, right. To be able to regard the frost and the boughs. And again, right? Perfect language to behold the juniper shagged with ice. Such a good yeah, expression. That's that's exactly what it should be in right. the mind's eye. Mm-hmm. And again, the question was, what is a poem you revisit mm-hmm. often, right? Or something like that. And and because I just mentioned Nina Forsyth, her husband, Robert Forsyth, wrote, It is a poem that I go back to over and over again, because that's what those words mean. So Rob didn't answer my question. Uh-huh. Wait, no, Rob did, did answer my question. He just was uh, precise about the uh-huh. language. Of course, of, of course. Right. We can find, let me actually make a couple more remarks. So uh, someone who asked not to be identified, actually, mm-hmm. um, 
referred to, and, and I'm not going to uh, read this one. I just want to point it out because I liked what I liked what this person said. Mm-hmm. So uh, the remark was, thought I'd send you along one of my favorites that seems to have found new pertinence since November of last year. Hopefully the optimism expressed here isn't too dark and depressing. Um, and so the, the poem is Ozymandias by Percy Shelley, which I would, of course, dear listeners, suggest that you, that you read on, yes, on your own. Yes, do some homework. Um, but the remark uh, continues to, um, under a con man of a president who bears the hallmarks of a would-be tyrant and lives to brand the world in his own gilded name, I have found existential comfort from the concept that even the mightiest, most terrifying works of men will weather and wither beneath the tireless sands of time, which level one and all. There you go. Great quote. That is, yes. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I, I think when people reread Ozymandias, they may, they may find that same resonance. So do that. Yeah. Um, so, so I warned you that I would ask you this question, Sure. Um, which is, do you, do you have a literary work that you go back to? I don't. Maybe I just haven't found the perfect one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't have one. I'm constantly reading. I'm a voracious reader, right. but I don't really find anything that brings me solace or happiness or kind of like if I'm feeling melancholy will pull me out of it or anything of that nature it's sort of I just haven't maybe I just haven't found the right one I mean I like I love poetry Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's it's really good for expressing emotions that you can't quite get out yourself yeah and and acknowledging those set emotions so I have had good experiences with poetry as far as like helping me process certain things and Helping me move through, but I just I don't think that uh, I don't have a touchstone to to go back to. Mm-hmm. So you don't have an anthem. You don't have. I don't have an anthem. Yeah. No, no, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I used to have um, kind of a ritual every spring, and again, here we are in spring. Yeah. And this isn't a poem, um, but it was a chapter of the book *Pilgrim at Tinker Creek* by Annie Dillard. Okay. And there's a chapter called "Spring," and and every year. You know, as as reliably as any other thing that happens every year, I would, uh-huh. I would read spring. And I haven't done that for um, probably about five years. And I think I need to go back. Um, go back and read spring. To, to Annie Dillard. Yeah. Um, just her her kind of way of experiencing the natural world. Um, but your, your remark earlier about like... About music? <laughs> well, actually, I wasn't even going to say that. But, oh, okay. But you could completely talk about I can music. talk about music. I mean, I think that, like, I mean, obviously, there's poetry and music, right? Um, well, D- Dylan won the Pulitzer for Poetry last year. So. Well, he did. Yeah. I don't, he did. I guess that's, yeah, I mean, he's prolific in that way. Um, yeah, I I like music, and I find solace in music, and I think everybody can relate to this, like, if you're feeling down in the dumps you probably want to listen to something that's gonna agree with your mood right Mm -hmm. so you might listen to something that's more melancholy um or if you have to go do something you're not really looking forward to you might listen to something that amps you up right right Right. so i mean as far as that goes that just helps the mood but i find if i'm always depressed or like a little sad i always listen to something that's kind of poppy and 80s like wham Mm -hmm. (laughs) the poetry of george michael which which allows me in this moment to issue a challenge. Okay. Um, because, you know, you, you were saying earlier, you know, of course, we talked before recording. Um, mm-hmm. And you said that, uh, 
you know, you didn't think that George Michael was writing poetry. Well, he's he was, yes. Well, I don't know. I guess you could call it poetry. It's not really well-constructed poetry mm-hmm. or, you know, song lyrics half the time, but it's fun. Right. Oh, yeah. To, to a fun beat, anything is acceptable. So so I was thinking, you know, A, I'm going to do some research to see if I can find a, you know, 18-year-old George Michael's um, love poems or something like that. That would be but, great. Um, I would love that. But I also think that, I think that as a gift um, that we should... And when I say we, I mean like all of us listening, maybe right now, um, should should send you poems. send me George Michael poems. George Michael poems. I would yeah. love that. Yeah, I think that there's a new genre. There's there's a possibility here. There's for... a possibility for pop artist um, poems. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, there. Actually, so I just read something from Billy Collins. Billy Collins has a um, a, a formal poet or form that he identified called the paradel. Um, which is meant to be a sort of parody form. Okay. There's a poem called Paradell for Susan. Um, and there are, you know, various different forms. There's villanelles and, and uh, pantoons and sistinas and things like that. So I think we need a, a George Michael form of some sort. Okay. So, so I hereby issue a call um, that that I, I will look for. That would be great. Um, you know, this sounds George like Michael a, poems. This looks, sounds fun. Um, I dig it. I think it's great. Maybe this will be my my go to poem. It's my George Michael. So if I can't listen to Wham, I can read right all about George. My love of my undying love of George Michael. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And, and yeah. So you you listen to um, you listen to pop and you listen to to George Michael and yeah. And you know I might pull out uh, Gloria Gaynor's "I Will Survive." Absolutely. Or, you know some some P funk or something like that. Right. Right. And and so too right. Um, you know, again, to kind of get back to my my question that I issued to the members of the the Center for Literary Arts Facebook group. Um, so, Brittany Tabler, for example, mentioned the poem "The Type" by Sarah Kay, uh, which she identifies as an empowering poem. And um, actually, Renee Butler also mentioned Sandra Cisneros' poem "Loose Woman." Okay. Um, and so, both of these are like you know, these are pulling out your Gloria Gaynor, you know, Aretha Franklin's, um, but. Uh, you know, they, they just sort of do it in a slightly different way. I, I might not necessarily always go back to a particular poem, but I might have, um, you know, a specific line, right, that I'm yeah. reciting over mm-hmm. and over again. Sure. Um, and I think that, that poetry also lets us do that, right, yeah. to kind of glom onto a specific line that is resonant for us and kind of carry it with us like a little handbag. Um, right. You know, and and, yeah. and it's a kind of another, again, I mentioned Billy Collins. So he has this other poem in which he's he's describing, reciting, he's learning a haiku, um, about the moth on the one-ton temple bell. Mm-hmm. And he describes, like, reciting it around the house, like tapping out its syllables on a shelf or lifting up the dog's ear and reciting the poem into the dog's ear, which is, I think, probably the best example of, like, the kind of behavior that I might sometimes find myself in. If yeah. I'm, like, working through. Trying to figure out how to... I mean, I guess that's that's a good segue into how you write a poem. Oh, yeah. Because it's sort of, you know... 
it's got to be aggravating to not get that right word. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. sort of the tip of the tongue syndrome where you walk around and you're like, what about this? And then you're like, I can do better. Right. Does that happen? Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Um, and sometimes it's, oh, no, I really can't do any better than this. This is my best. <laughs> For a while. Yeah. I've like tapped myself out. For right out. now. Um, or... Um, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of letting something sit for a while. Right. Right. So um, uh, for a while I had a, a, a kind of challenge with a friend of mine that we would send each other drafts every, okay. um, like every Sunday evening. And uh, it was the best thing I could possibly do because it for, like it held my held my feet to the production fire. So yeah, I, yeah. I knew that I had to have a draft sent off to, um, to Jack by 645 mm-hmm. on a Sunday evening. Um, and so in that case, right, because I knew that they were just drafts, like I didn't have to have the right word. Um, but what I've been doing is we're actually not doing that project anymore. But what I've been doing now is trying to like go back through those drafts. Okay. And it's, you know, it's been a couple months or sure. it's been a little bit longer. And um, like I'm, I'm seeing things now, like what I could cut out or they might not even be an issue of what is the correct word, but. Just editing yourself a little bit better. But like maybe this whole stanza doesn't even need to be here anymore. Uh. Or maybe the epigraph that I thought needed to set up the whole poem doesn't actually have to be there at all. Okay. Uh, Because what's happening in the poem is now like clear enough to someone who isn't necessarily like connected to the research that underlies it. Right. Um, So like I find that I do a lot of that. So yeah, there's some, there's some wordsmithing of course that happens too. Um, But, but I find that what I'm doing more often than not is just trimming things out I think that I mean um that's the goal with anything that you're working on is to make sure it's like as sleek and slender as possible and direct and to the point right um I think especially with poetry because you don't want to be too long-winded right um have you ever gone back to something that you've let sit for a long period of time or you've written and then you said oh god I could have done that so much better mm-hmm. oh yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely do you um, ever change it <laughs> yeah I do I do good um yeah and uh so I um so I went through a period of I mean and a lot of stuff I just don't even worry about anymore right because um because it kind of doesn't even matter like I can look at a poem from 10 years ago and think yeah yeah I would have done this differently but but that was me 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so now I don't need to worry about it. But right. but within a much more recent period of time, like, yeah, okay, so this was this version and I thought it was pretty good. But mm-hmm. now I need to have this particular change. So I'll, I'll fiddle with it. Yeah, that's um, great. You know, and but we, you don't touch anything that's... No, not really. I mean, I actually haven't even read anything recently that was from... 10 years longer ago. Longer than seven years ago, maybe. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I don't go back and listen. I think we've talked about this before. Like, I don't go back and listen to my podcasts because I do them and then, I mean, I listen to them to p- do an edit or sure, something, sure. but um, I don't go, I don't listen to myself over and over again mm-hmm. and be like, wow, I did such a great job. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, maybe you should. Right? Maybe, maybe. I think I'd be more nitpicky than anything. Right. And I, you know, like you look back on it and be like, man, that was terrible. I was, I could have done that so much better. Right. And then I just get frustrated and turn it off, walk away. Well, and you also like, so you have feedback right away, pretty much, right? Because people do, respond yeah. to you. They do, um, yeah, which is great, and I love that. Sure, um, and and I'm sure that that helps the process. It does like, the composing process of the um, of the podcast, and I mean, so too, right? If people belong to writing groups or they go to, in fact, actually, this very evening at the Center for Literary Arts, um, there is a community writing group happening, but um, it's every other Monday, but. 
so if people belong to writing groups, then they have that opportunity to kind of put their work out in front of someone else and get some feedback. Right. Uh, and there is a tendency, right, to want to kind of craft something and craft something and craft something and get yeah. it exactly right before it goes before someone else's eyes. Yeah. Um, which is probably a disservice to the work. I think you're right. And I think you probably really self edit to the point where you're thinking if somebody mentions something, then I'll have an explanation as to why I did it. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you're like, I can justify that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there you don't need to. Right. Because it's just that bad. Just take it out or yeah. it can be done differently. So mm-hmm. usually your first, um, your first instinct or gut thing is the best. So just go with it. Well, or like the the raw idea yeah. is is a good one but maybe it needs to kind of sit for a while sure and then, you know then come back come back to it yeah um but yeah it's you know it's like any other thing that a person does this craft like you know even even a person who's learning how to make a door mm-hmm. right um can recognize that their door isn't yet what it should be oh absolutely you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so so it you know you know any, anybody, I think, who works on something or builds something, let's say, uh, can kind of spot its strengths and spot its weaknesses. But mm-hmm. but sometimes we do need another person to kind of come along and say, mm, how about some, you know, how about some varnish on this door? Right. How about some sanding right here or right. something like that? Well, it's always good to get a different yeah. perspective. Yeah, Because you're so in it that you can't get distance from it and look at it sure. um, impartially. So. Sure. Um, I think it's really courageous that people do this creative writing group because you know to put yourself out there like that Mm -hmm. because your thoughts are your thoughts on paper yeah is um is a big deal um well and like reading in front of people can be terrifying sometimes especially Um, if it's your own work in your own voice right right that's like pretty powerful well which is also when like I think we're tempted to, to like remind people that there is a distinction between the speaker and the writer and they're right. not necessarily the same character. Right. And, um, I think it's easier to read somebody else's words. Sure. Because at the end of the day, you're not taking ownership of that. You're just sort of communicating that. Mm-hmm. But if you're have written something then you and, and communicated it, you're owning it and voicing it. Right, right. And I think that's pretty powerful. Well, and, you know... Um, Actually, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and I've been thinking about this since she said it, that um, things happen, it's not that things happen so quickly, but Mm -hmm. in a way, things happen so quickly, and we're constantly getting news, and we're constantly getting information, that responding as a writer to events that are happening... Takes um, a little bit of time. Right. It takes a little bit of time, and it's almost like by the time you've kind of processed what you want to say about something, it's already... It's gone. It's already over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I had this, I have this kind of reflection on the Women's March, for example. Yeah. And um, that that I wrote the day of the Women's March, and and now it's passe, right? I don't think it's passe. Well, I, I mean, mean, it's not in the headlines anymore. I mean, people are moving on to other marches, but I still think that it. I mean, you definitely have something to say about it, right? You know what I mean? Then you should. You should speak about it, but I don't, I mean, it's not going to probably go viral or anything on, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> no, that, that's not. past, but I don't right. think the importance of that right. and how you felt about it well, and has I, less importance. You know, I think that, that maybe what I also need to remind myself of is that, uh, like that occasional, right. A, a thing which is written for a particular occasion, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's a place for those. 
Right. Um, but also maybe, you know, because things move so quickly and because we seem to be kind of, you know, almost having whiplash from events that are happening around us that, um, you know, there is something important in, in voicing our responses to events as they occur. Um, but, you know, maybe what we can do to kind of step back from those events. So kind of get the, get the sense of it, mm-hmm. make the point, but not necessarily tie it to a particular to a particular occasion sure so sure so maybe occasionals don't serve us well but the the sentiment of the sort of you know cultural zeitgeist might um, absolutely you know might be kind of difficult to articulate but necessary to articulate sure sure well i still think you should put out the women's march (laughs) viewpoint i mean why not it happened it was pretty historical and i pretty sure it's going to happen again yeah yeah well um, clearly clearly we we keep needing to to march <laughs> to keep the idea in front of people yeah exactly but well um i'm really interested to hear some of your poems mm, okay and you so knew this was gonna happen. i did know this was gonna happen and i um so i actually kind of intentionally said that i would just pull up things that i'm working on right now so yeah. these are actually like very these are new, in the moment in the moment um and so in fact, I just put this in front of a uh, writing group that I belonged to last week. Uh, so this is, happily, it's a podca- podcast, right? Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I don't have to worry necessarily about one part of this. But um, So this is a poem called Winglike. Okay. Uh, and it begins with an epigraph by um, Paul Opler. And this is the epigraph. What a breath of fresh air to read a book that treated butterflies as living organisms, not merely as specimens to be acquired. So that's the epigraph. Okay. Okay. A field guide to eastern butterflies names more than 500 species. Each is given range maps, habitats, preferred plants. An illustration lays out wings. Coastal margin, inner margin, apex, outer angle. And I remember your naming butterfly a certain term of art. The subject at hand was labia, and you asked if childbirth, age, or indiscretion had shaped mine, presuming a number of partners visibly countable somehow. I wanted the term to reference beauty, the elegance of adaptation, a blue morphose shimmering, the tactile cite pulsing to the brain. You meant it as a pinning accusation. It was a microscope and specimen board in the quaint curiosity cabinet of a clumsy amateur who got lucky once with a net. That's spectacular. <laughs> Thank you so much oh, for sharing you're that. Most welcome. That was very good. Yeah. So, um, that's so, uh, yeah. So you might not realize that apparently butterfly is a term for labia. I did not know that. Yeah, I, um, I didn't previously either. But um, and so like here's another example, right? So like I find it a tail. Butterfly is a term for labia. Yeah. Um, and and also happen to have on my shelf a field guide to eastern butterflies, which <laughs> includes an introduction by Paul Opler. Um, with that thing about living organisms and not merely as specimens and it all kind of like falls together. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's super cool how that just happens. Kind of a neat thing. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain works in great ways. Um, well, I mean the brain in general, like yeah. it's just like the way that it, it puts, puts ideas together. I think it's 
pretty keen. In fact, like I was listening to NPR earlier, uh-huh. and there was a, a bit on about dreams and like different parts of the um, different parts of the brain lighting up. Right. Yeah. So if you see a see a face in your dream, then you're also like the region of the brain that identifies faces is also lighting up if if people are doing scans. Like I think that that's happening to us all the time. Yeah. Right? Like those kinds of. I think that yeah, absolutely, you're making these connections on a deeper level in some sure. way, and then they come they rise to the surface just yep. the right times. Yep. Hopefully, or, or, <laughs> or later, not later after a lot of revision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> right. But they come. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, so I'm going to throw another one at you. Awesome. Uh, this is. Uh, it started out as three separate poems, uh, and someone suggested that I put them together under the title "Migration." Okay. So there are three stanzas, but they're separated, um, just with a you know notation on the page. So, the poem is called "Migration." The V of geese is flying south. They're honking, squonking, gone, gone, gone. Meanwhile, other birds are leaving quietly, slipping out the side door, and I think they'll be back. Alone in the house, no one has asked for anything. I eat the leftover asparagus with my fingers from a cold bowl. My cheeks are streaked with marinade. My hands are filled with their own choices. I may not have gone to market, but I did go away, sampling as I went, telling tales to send him off to sleep with dreams of happy endings. I dreaded coming back, but when I did, I cried, we, 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 all the way home. (sighs) Very different um, turn of events. Uh, This is a a poem called Jamestown, Uh, of course, for the early... Uh, colony in Virginia. So, Poems Jamestown. I'm carrying, wrapped in a shroud of paper towel, a finch the cat has killed. The cheap trowel handle bent, I try digging with my hands, but leave the body to the skunks. The yard is full of buried birds, moles, voles, mice, and three cats that slept on me with bloodied paws. Future archaeologists would spot my leisure, all that meat left on the bones. Recently in Jamestown, a docent lectured on the starving time, on trash pits, on researchers' disbelief. Digging through the pits, they found the butchered bones of horses, dogs, rats. Then they found the knife cuts on facial bones of a girl, grim, reluctant cuts to her tibia. Her reconstructed face is displayed in a hushed gray museum. She was 14. My daughter and I left the lecture, ate a tavern lunch of cheese and ham, returned to a home where the vermin are each interred in separate graves. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So there's Jamestown. That's great. Thanks. Thanks. I, you know, I think you have a future on this, really. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it's good. You submit stuff, and and I think it's worthy of being published. But that's just my own opinion. It'll be published on my podcast. Right. So there yeah, you go. Exactly. So thanks for that. Hey, no worries. Mm-hmm. So uh, if people are interested in um, learning how to write poems or reading some interesting poems, where would you send them? Well, um, I would, of course, send them to the Center for Literary Arts, yes. um, and they could come to the uh, 
uh, community writers workshop that happens every other Monday, uh-huh. uh, and that's facilitated by Rob Spar, who is a um, just lovely, charming person uh-huh. um, and a long-running volunteer uh, with the center. Um, you know, we also, if if people are interested in talking to writers about their work, mm-hmm. we also do a coffee with the writer program um, on the first Saturday of the month. Uh, during the semester. So we actually only have one left. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, Yeah, right. Uh, So that one is coming up on, actually, now I'm going to check the date, but it's the first Saturday in May. um, And that date is May 6th. And um, so that Coffee with a Writer will be held with Christopher George. Okay. Um, and he is the ripperologist about whom we spoke before. Okay. Right? So this is your opportunity to talk to a ripperologist. That's um, amazing. He'll be... F- Jack the Ripper for people who are unfamiliar. Yeah, sorry. Um, so he'll be fun. And uh, so, again, Coffee with a Writer... They run from 10 a.m. until 12 uh, noon. I like that you're doing this in the morning. Yeah. So you can talk about Jack the Ripper while drinking coffee. Right. You know, we've actually... That's so scary. um, So so someone suggested to me that instead of having coffee with a writer, we should really have, like, whiskey with the editor um, some evening. And so... Sure. that's the kind of thing that might end up eventually happening that would be great um you know for for people who maybe don't need coffee um maybe they need to just oh, mellow out a little right. bit or who aren't so good with mornings right um but so those saturday morning programs are always um uh you know it's always a good opportunity there's always a good conversation yeah uh nina forsyth whom we mentioned earlier uh is the facilitator generally of those coffee with the writer programs and so they're just informal readings and informal conversations uh, over Saturday morning coffee. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. That sounds really so. good. So there's plenty of stuff to do. Always. And um, I'm sure you can. So is there any places where people can find poems? Oh, oh, uh, all yeah. around to you. Google them. <laughs> Right, right. Google them. Um, Or, uh, you know, if you're walking around Frostburg, you might be confronted with a poem in windows uh, on Main Street or at the Ort Library or at the Depot or various other locations around town. Um, But, you know, the okay, so the place where I would go. Yeah. Right. I mean, of course, there's, you know, poets.org and poetry.com and Poetry Foundation and, you know, great sites um, on the Internet where you can just sort of fall down a rabbit hole into, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one poem leading to another, leading to another. Um, And I should also say this, Michael Blumenthal is reading at um, the Ort Library on the 19th of April at 7.30 p.m. Okay. Uh, So he'll be a delight. But, um, you know, the place where I would go is is actually your local independent bookstore um, because what you'll find is generally a pretty good poetry section. Uh, If you're in Frostburg, there is an an amazing, deep, well-stocked poetry section in our local independent bookstore. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, wherever you are, if you can find a, um, you know, local independent bookstore and just walk in and tell people what you think you like, and chances are they can give you some suggestions for things that you haven't even thought about before. Right. And if you've so. never read poetry, go to the library. Well, yeah, of course. There's always a library, too. Yeah. Um, or just like walk up to someone on the street and say, uh, like, hey, I know that in this highly mediated, uh, you know, electronic device time that we have, people don't talk to each other anymore. But I suspect that you know a good poem. And can you tell me what it is? And someone will either like shriek and run away. Right. Or they'll say, oh, actually, I had to memorize, you know, some sort of poem. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid. And yeah. 
and I hadn't thought about that for a while. And thanks for lifting me back into my humanity. I always like the, the <laughs> latter of those two options. Well, I think this was a fantastic way to celebrate Poetry Month in April. Well, thanks for having thanks for having me on. Always. Uh, for, for Poetry Month. And uh, come back uh, again. Happily. Great. Thank thanks. you so much. Oh, thank you. For more information on what you've heard on today's show, be sure to head over to our what? Website. That's right. You guessed it. Record Toglison. Dot com. All of our 104 episodes are archived there for you to listen to on the browser. But if you're feeling adventurous and want to take us on the road, you have to subscribe. You can listen to us through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and Podcast Republic. If for those Android users out there, you um, should never miss another one of these episodes. It's really simple. So like magic, every Sunday, it'll show up on your device. Be on the lookout for new episodes of Relish Pod. That is our cooking show. It's on the same same uh, RTL network. Uh, so if you like cooking, have questions about cooking, the guys are looking for you to be kind of interactive with them. So if you've got a question that you can't quite figure out how to make a dish or something's just not working out right, they want to know about it so they can help you cook what you eat. So that is Relish Pod. And go to their website. Show them some love on Facebook and RelishPod.com. So if you or someone you know wants to sponsor either one of those podcasts, you should send us an email at recordtucklisten at gmail.com. It's a great way to get the word out about your business worldwide. And your advertisement never expires. So think about the bang for the buck that gets you. So send us a message. You want to do this. And as always, we love to hear from the listeners. That would be you right now. Send us an email. Tweet at us. Um, or send us a message or a comment on Facebook. So we're at RTL Pod on Twitter, and we're at Record Tech Listen on Facebook. And at Record Tech Listen at gmail.com gets you in direct contact with me. So send me an email. I want to hear from you. This is another episode of Record Talk Listen, where I hit record, people talk, and hopefully you listen. Until next time, thank you so much.